Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. Hey, welcome to BJJ Mental Models, episode 202. I'm Steve Kwan. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent jiu-jitsu approach. And today, joined by newly minted world champion, Amy freaking Campo. How's it going, Amy? Hi, how are you doing, Steve? It's nice to be on here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I am happy to have you here. Man, I I went on a whole emotional journey watching you compete at ADCC. That was a hell of a performance. That match with Gabby was like watching a WWE match. You guys were just brawling up the aisle. It was an incredible thing to watch. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> So I, I would love to dig into something with you here. We were talking to our community and they were trying to get a handle on, from your perspective, what does a good training camp look like? Of course, this was an incredible run for you, going up and taking out some of the, the best in the world, winning gold at ADCC. I would love to get an understanding of, from a training standpoint, what does that look like? Like, how does your training camp get structured? I, I know that probably a lot of this are questions that would maybe go to your coach, but I'd be curious to know your experience going into this camp. Gotcha. So yeah, it would be a good good question for my coach because he's the one who pushed the training camp. What I experienced as like a perspective being a student, being the one inside the training camp, one thing I think that my coach is really intuitive to what he feels like his fighters need. So I really need to credit him knowing when to push and him knowing when to be specific about something we need to learn or develop. So I really got to credit him for that. But what I experienced is a lot of the daily grind, um, just training with intention. I think um, there's a goal here and you come to training and you know that you're going to, before you do anything, you know that you're going to put your full effort in. And I think that's the one thing I've been learning on doing better and getting better at is putting my full effort when I'm coming to training. And training can go a variety of ways. It was never just one specific thing, but the concepts were always there. Like you're always going to train hard. You're always going to push your limits and you're specific in what you're trying to accomplish in each training. So for some trainings that was developing a skill in a certain position or a certain submission or a skill of controlling yourself in some way and um, guiding the fight. And in some trainings, it was a different goal. And that was just it needed for whoever I was going to fight. Well, let me ask a question here then. You talked about training with intention, and that's something that I've heard a lot of grapplers talk about, the importance of training with intention. But that's something that I don't hear a lot of people really define. You know, what does that mean? And I'd be curious to know from your perspective, when we say training with intention, what does that mean to you? So training with intention to me means training with a goal. And and that's not just a goal of I'm going to win this competition or 
or something that's like a very tangible goal, the intention is I'm going to make myself better. I'm going to make myself better in one way or another, whether I'm going to become more efficient or I'm going to become faster. I'm going to become more explosive. I'm going to change how I do things, how I approach things. I'm going to make this position and this transition and this roadmap in jujitsu. I'm going to perfect it as much as I can. When I think of training intentionally, I think of being in tune to the fight and then being able to create what I want in the fight. Awesome. Now, when you set these goals, is this something where you set goals for, say, the quarter or the year, or are they tied to individual events? Or is it even a situation where just you've got things at such a granular level that you're setting goals on a day-by-day basis? I've done all of those things. Really, it's just what you need. What are you looking for? What are you needing? And develop it within the time frame that you can. Got it. That's a, that's a good point, though, is that sometimes time is a constraint, right? I mean, improvement is always an ongoing process. And of course, in general, that's something that you want to carry with you for the rest of your life. But sometimes there's something that you got to get done in the next month or so. And I, I guess that might create a situation where you have to do the best that you can within the window that you've got. Yeah, yeah I would say so. So going into this camp, I'd love to know if you've got any particular ideas. I mean, if you can disclose in terms of things that you worked on specifically to get ready for ADCC and for that big run. I actually worked a little bit more on concepts than on like specific moves or specific techniques. I worked more on pushing through barriers that I struggled with. I worked on being humble. I worked on pushing past the points where I was tired and where I didn't want to and being like having a drive for every moment of the fight. I Those were some of the things I worked on because those, like your jujitsu is always going to get better. Hopefully it's always getting better, mm-hmm. but I worked on pushing past when I didn't want to anymore. And the goal with that is to help me when I feel like I'm at my limit, go beyond my limit. And I believed going into this fight that a lot of people get really close to accomplishing something and they give up right before they're about to achieve it. So I wanted to make sure that I never stopped trying to grow and was never satisfied with where I was at in training, that I wanted to find more. That's interesting. I just heard uh, Rafael Lovato Jr. talk about this, this uh, tendency for people to kind of take their foot off the gas at the last mile where they, you know, you're almost there, you're 99% of the way to your goal. And then a common mental trap that people get into is they will just ever so slightly lift their foot off the gas right when they get to the end and kind of go into coasting mode. And that's such a, an exploitable opportunity for an opponent. If all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're walking into this thing with a massive run up, you're, you're clearly winning the fight and then you just make the mistake of just taking your foot off the gas at the very end, right? And uh, Lovato brought up some great examples about how in 2007, when he went to ADCC, that's how he lost. He he felt he was winning uh, one of his matches right up until the very end where he kind of went into coasting mode, made a mistake, gave up the match and lost. I'd be curious to know how you train that though, because I, I think when we, in jujitsu, we talk about training, everyone thinks about the technical side of things, right? You know, you go into the gym and you drill and you, you bang off reps. I'd love to know, how do you train the mental side of things? Oh, the mental side of things. I think something that gives you a mental and physical edge is training and longer and harder than you need to because then your bar is already set longer than you need to fight. And then that's how it's supposed to be anyways, at least coming from how I was raised jujitsu, you just always train harder than the fight is going to be. And you always anticipate that the fight is going to be really hard. 
So that should put your bar way above where you need. And I feel like always being at the grind in that way develops a lot of grit and a lot of heart for you to be able to push past whatever is holding you back. Um, A little bit more specifically, though, to how do you train your mind? (laughs) That is a form of discipline that goes well outside of jujitsu. And jujitsu is one of the platforms that you can practice training your mind with. Basically, I, in my opinion, in my mental journey, it's all about discipline. And when I say discipline, I mean what you allow into your mind and what you keep out of your mind. And that's a that's a constant discipline. That's as constant as maintaining your body, like exercising, eating, sleeping. What goes in and out of your mind is a very constant discipline. And I think that's why a lot of people struggle with it because they're looking for this you know, when you when you think of resting, you're thinking of not doing something and not taking care of your mind is not ever something you should do. <laughs> so I think it's easy to get tired. So yeah, taking care of what goes in and out of your mind and to take care of it is you have to recognize what is going in and out and you have to have an ideal of something you want going in and out and then you have to make it that way. And that takes a lot of practice and that process of like recognition and instilling what you want is just a, a continual revolution and a continual progression. That's a really interesting concept, this idea of gatekeeping the things that you let into your mind. And that might seem counterintuitive to people because, you know, we're always taught, well, have an open mind, have an open mind, right? And I think what people can interpret that to mean is that you don't gatekeep these things. But I think there is something to be said about being very deliberate about what you allow into your brain, whether it be negative thinking, whether it be, you know, just the way that you screen ideas and screen information. Once you let an idea into your head, it's a lot harder to get it out again, right? Yeah. Well, I disagree almost. I think, you know, you're not going to be able to control every single thing that comes in and out of your mind. You're going to have things that pop into your head super quick. You're going to be like, whoa, what the heck is this? And I think how much you linger on it decides how much place you're going to give it in your mind. So I think if if you register, if you recognize something that comes into your mind as bad, hopefully you make it your habit to be like, nope, delete. At least that's that's my that's my habit. If I have a thought come into my head that is less than becoming less than productive or downright negative, I boot it right away. That's gone. I delete that. I banish that. That that has no place in my mind. And I make a habit of teaching myself what's true. You know, if that is if that was a passing doubt or passing fear or whatever that was, as soon as I delete it and remove it, I go and reinforce what I know to be true. And if I need to teach myself more truth. So that's a really cool concept here, because I think when people think about, you know, how to deal with negative thoughts, where the mind goes is, well, you know, just ignore them. But that doesn't always really work very well, right? It's hard to fight negative thoughts. You can't just make your brain stop thinking about something. So I love this idea you've got about substitution, where you you focus on a more productive, more positive idea instead of dwelling on something that's negative and unproductive. Mm-hmm. I listened to a speaker talk a couple months ago and he was talking about skiing and he was talking about skiing on a really 
uh, I, I don't even think it was a legit like skiing route. He was making one down the mountain and he was talking about how he's going through all these switchbacks between trees and how if you're going through these switchbacks and you're thinking tree, 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 you're gonna hit a tree. But if you're thinking like stick to the white, to the white, to the white, you're you're manifesting what you're finding. That's a really interesting point. It's kind of like ultimately at the end of the day, you're talking about am I focusing excessively on avoiding negatives or am I focusing on achieving positives? And I mean, technically speaking, in either event, you're kind of moving towards the same goal. But one of those approaches is going to be way more healthy than the other. Mm-hmm. Yep. Do you think that focusing on the negative like that can lead to some kind of defensive thinking? I mean, I presume that if you're always thinking in your head, don't screw up, don't screw up, don't screw up, that's got to have an impact on your performance versus someone who's thinking about what they want to achieve, right? Yeah, I feel like it's a motivation that is fear-based, and I'd rather have a motivation that is like happy-based, excitement-based, like motivation drive. I'd rather have some sort of positive attribute be the basis for my drive than, you know, doing it out of fear. I don't want to fight you because I fear you or because I fear losing. And I mean, that that can work, but I think it's higher to fight you because I love fighting and because I want to fight you. Got it. Is, is this something where you have to self-assess when you you're dealing with a you know a mindset struggle or is this something where a coach can actually comment on it i mean i would assume that's a bit hard because when we're talking about technique if you're making a mistake your coach can walk by and visually see it and correct it but mindset is very much an internal battle and i'd be curious to know to what extent you can rely on a a coach or a a mentor to provide guidance there because they can't really see what's inside your head right Right, right. I think largely it is a personal internal battle, but I do think other people can aid in that and they can aid in that by helping you, helping keep the positive thoughts in your head, help keeping the encouragement, help keeping the the belief that you are capable. And I mean, if I don't foster that for myself as well, it doesn't matter how much he's going to do. But yeah, other people, other people can help. And it's important that you you know, if they're not giving you helpful advice to not let them help. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, again, that kind of comes down to the, the mental screening, right? I mean, if, if someone is unproductive or negative, I mean, any unproductive or negative idea, if you can screen those out rather than dwelling on them, it's always going to put you in a better situation from a mindset perspective. Yeah. And I think I'm a little bit of an interesting case too. Like I can thrive off of both. When somebody tells me I can't do something, I like it. Like, I mean, I wouldn't like choose to have people say that to me all the time, but I just get more driven to prove you wrong. But I also am really driven by believing that I can do something and that I want to do something. So I, I feel like I'm lucky that I can, I can exist with both of them. <laughs> well, what you're talking about there is a good reframing technique, right? Someone comes to you with a negative telling you that you can't do something. And rather than accepting or dwelling on that, what your brain is doing is reframing that into, yes, I can. And this negative statement that you gave me is no longer a negative because it is now a motivating factor for me. So in a lot of ways, that's a cool reframing trick. Yeah. I'd be curious to know, does that ever happen in competition? Do you ever, you know, in mid-match, is there ever a setback or something? And do you have a way to reframe that and turn that into a positive? No, that doesn't happen in, in matches. That'll happen sometimes in training. And then for me, the focus of training then becomes regaining control of my mind. And if I've done that, I've hit the mark. And if I can go beyond that, then I'm superseding the mark. 
Got it. That's super interesting. Do you ever do any kind of visualization exercises or is that not something that you find useful? Not consciously, but I like not with a set time and place, mm-hmm. but I have before, like I imagine, like I just, I'm a thinker for sure. And I imagine what things will feel like, what things will be like. And I imagine what I want. So it's there, but I don't necessarily use visualization in a specific time, but you could say that I use it often. Mm-hmm. I think I see what you're saying where it's not a, a deliberate practice where you sit down and say, okay, I'm going to spend 20 minutes doing visualization today, but rather it's just kind of a tool that you pull out when it makes sense. Yeah, sure. Got it. Cool. So let's, let me ask you about your, your training room. I mean, what does that look like? Do you train differently when you're leading up to a camp or do you kind of have a a consistent regiment that's always applying regardless of what's coming up in the short-term horizon? Oh yeah. I mean, of like when there's a training camp going on, it is more focused and everyone's on the same page that there's like a training camp going on. And it's just understood that we are training hard and we are training with purpose. But outside of the training camp, I like to train just as hard because I like training. Like when I initially started competing, my coach was like, we need to start a training camp. We need to get ready for training and we need to train. And I was just like, yeah, like, what does that mean? We did the first, the first training camp I ever did. He was like, yeah, we need to do a training camp. And I was like, bro, this is the same as I always train. Like, (laughs) this is, that is, that is how I like to train. I like when training is intense. I like when it's difficult. I like when somebody is smashing me and I have to find something new. I have to find something more in myself. I like that. That's what's satisfying about jujitsu. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely. I remember, I mean, my background is very different from yours. I'm a hobbyist. So like most hobbyists, I am afraid to hurt. <laughs> and I remember it was a big moment for me when I realized earlier in my journey that, or, you know, rather than avoiding the the big strong guys and avoiding the difficult roles because it was unpleasant, kind of realizing that actually that's the best learning opportunity, right? I mean, if you want to go in there and defeat bigger, stronger people, which is the, the whole marketing behind this martial art, the only way you're going to do that is if you actually go in there and you spar with those people, right? If you, if you try to take the easy path and you're training, I mean, yeah, you can still have fun with jujitsu as a hobby, but your ability to get better is going to be pretty limited because you're just not pushing yourself to a new challenge. Right, right. Yeah, I had, I had one of my teammates tell me, he's kind of like a coach too. I had one of my teammates tell me, he's, he's like, hey, look, you should be getting smashed with training. Like you should be losing. And that's how you know your training is pushing you to your limit. And that's what you want is to be pushed to your limit so that you can go beyond the limit so that you can become capable of what you weren't capable of yesterday. Got it. Got it. Now, here's a question for you. You know, you are an ADCC world champion. I'm going to venture to guess that when you roll into the gym, you know, you're probably one of the most elite athletes in there. Do you ever have a challenge where it's difficult for you to get hard competitive roles just due to the the experience and skill level? Yeah. Well, so every single one of my teammates is valuable for one reason or another. They each have a strength that is key for me to roll with and work on elevating myself to their strength or being able to comprehend their strength. And some of them, does that make sense? They all have something they bring that helps me train. And as they develop me, I have a chance to help elevate them as well. And so it may not be that like, not, yeah, not everybody's as technical as I am. There are some people who come back with my technicality and that's great. Like 
great. And then there are some people who are stronger than I am. And that's what I'm combating when I'm going with them. I have to find new avenues with somebody who's stronger. Then there are some people that are better wrestling than I have. So when I roll with them, that's the bar that I'm combating with. Does that make sense? 100%. You know, I've, I've always thought of this because I've heard some people bring this up before and it always reminds me of the uh, Ocean's Eleven movies where, you know, you've got a team of people and none of them are superheroes, right? But every one of them has one thing that is indispensable to the team, right? They've all got one particular skill that is useful. And that's something that, you know, as a hobbyist, I find very encouraging because when I'm, you know, when I'm going in there against someone who does this professionally, I don't want them to feel like they're wasting their time training with me. You know, I'm going to get something out of training with someone who's more experienced than me for sure, but I'm always worried, okay, am I going to be giving anything of value to this competitive professional? I don't want to be wasting their time as well. And it's good to know that you can frame this such that you're always getting value out of your training partners. You just have to find the one thing that they're unique at that you're not getting anywhere else. And if you need to create that goal to find the bar for yourself, then do that too. Maybe have a goal of you want to try to get to a certain position or get out of a certain position or chain certain things together, chain your weaknesses together. You want to hit a certain submission. You want to hit it a certain amount of times. You want to hit it within a certain amount of time. Like, like you can create your bar as well. They don't have to, like my training partners, they're Blue belt and purple belts. There's a couple that are like brown and my coach, of course, is a black belt and he'll smash me a good deal over here and there. But like the majority of my training partners are purple and blue belts. Guarantee they're guys, but you know, jujitsu. And they are bar enough because each of them has strengths. And as I can teach them, they raise the bar for me. So that's a fascinating myth to bust, I think, when it comes to performance jiu-jitsu. People often assume that, hey, if you want to be a world champion, you've got to pack up everything you move and go to some celebrity fight camp where all of the other famous people are fighting, and that's the only way to get there. But what I keep hearing over and over again from people who've actually done it, like you said, is, no, you don't need to be in there sparring with 20 other black belt world champions all the time. A lot of the time it's the purple and the brown and even the blue belts that you train with that might be the basis of your your team. And I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts on that because it, what you're saying very much aligns with what I've heard other people say that you don't necessarily need to be chasing celebrity camps to, to go off and actually win at the highest levels. Yeah, no, I do think I do agree with that. I think that can work like the new environment in a new gym can work the high level training partners that can work. But I do think it is very true that you can create your training with your training partners. And that can work as well. Like I was an example of that. That's fantastic to know. I really find that kind of heartening as a as a hobbyist that hey even though i'm not going to be the person who's going in there and doing the competition i can still be a useful member of the training camp and give value back to the team right i think as a as a hobbyist that is always the concern you have when you're training with pros is you know, fuck, I don't want to be wasting this person's time. All right. I want to be giving value to them. I'd, I'd be curious to know for people in those situations where they're, you know, one of their training partners is going in and prepping for a high level competition. Is there anything that the Uki here should be trying to do or incorporate to make that experience more useful for the competitor? You can, you can have a specific way they're fighting so that you're reading these specific signals and learning how to deal with them. Yeah, that. You totally can do that. It's whatever you need, really. At the end of the day, 
if you have good jujitsu, and most people should, most people do, at the end of the day, what people are needing is a push. They're needing to perform under pressure and to break their limits, to control their mind while they're doing that. Interesting. I mean, something you've brought up a few times here is this idea that at this level, everyone's going to have good jujitsu. And it sounds to me like what you're saying is the differentiating factors are actually probably other things. And I find that to be an interesting thought. Do you feel like jujitsu technique and skill is the differentiator once you get to the world class level? Or is it more other things like mindset and grit and strategy? Just be curious to know what you think is the, the real needle mover at the highest level. I think I do agree with that because at the end of the day, what's true here is that jujitsu is real. Jujitsu works. And so what do you do if jujitsu works for you, but jujitsu also works for them? Well, yeah, it comes down to who believed in the technique more, who believed in going first, who believed in themselves and their application, who was smarter about when to move and when to not. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And it's cool that you bring that up because this is something I've, I've heard a lot, even from high level athletes is there's a often a kind of a, a lack of self-belief. Even people who are incredibly accomplished at jujitsu sometimes don't really have that full belief in themselves. And I, I know that this is something you've talked about. You just did an interview, I believe recently with, um, I think it was Jiu-Jitsu Times, where you talked about the importance of belief and believing in yourself. I'd be curious to dig into that a little bit and how you kind of got to the point where you were able to elevate your self-belief enough to perform at these levels. Gotcha. So a couple things go into how I was able to start to believe in myself. One was I first had faith in myself in whatever principle or whatever move I was doing. And I took it to a competition and I performed well. And after that competition, I realized, okay, hey, this this amount of faith that I had, it worked. It's true. That was verified. And as I saw it verified one time and then another time and another time, it becomes a more excellent form of faith. It becomes a belief that I know that I can do this because I have done this. Even ADCC was another another testament towards training with my teammates the way I did. I believed that it would work. Like I had faith that this plan will work. And I just trusted it the whole way through and it worked. And yeah, so that was one way that I started to believe in myself more. Is there an element of fake it till you make it? Because it sounds like a belief is almost a self-fulfilling prophecy where you kind of have to believe in yourself in order to have confidence and and to believe in yourself. Is there a is there really a trick or is it just a matter of you've just got to actually start aggressively doing your best to to frame yourself in a positive light mentally? Uh yeah, kind of both of those things. Kind of like, yeah, so you said fake it till you make it. Yeah, you kind of fake believing in yourself and you you figure out what modes of action and what thoughts represent believing in yourself. Do you see what I'm going to get at is I'm going to get at is you teach yourself how to believe in yourself is you think, okay, if I believe in myself, how do I act? What do I think? Am I thinking those things now? Okay, no. So I need to, if I believe in myself, I would believe this. I would act like this. I would do things like this. I would go for these. And then you start to act on those things. And as you start to act on those things, you build the skills of having belief in yourself and then you believe in yourself. Interesting. Yeah. And that's funny because 
that sounds counterintuitive, right? I think most people who are struggling with self-belief issues, they think there's got to be a secret, right? There's got to be something that if only I were to to do, or if only I were this type of person, then I would have self-belief. But a lot of the time you actually have to invert it and attack it backwards because the actions that you take can eventually become that belief in yourself. I mean, an example that I, I hear a lot, it is, it's a known thing that if you force yourself to smile on a regular basis, that actually reverse impacts your mindset, where if you smile enough, eventually it will put you in a in a more positive mood. People often think that the brain and the body are separate and the brain tells the body what to do, but it's actually very much a two-way relationship. And so I love this idea of kind of think about what the ideal version of you would look like and how that person would act and then just start acting that way and then the belief manifests. That's a really powerful model. Yeah. I I don't know if you'd call it like reverse psychology or reverse philosophy, reverse philosophy. Like you use the reverse of the logic to teach you how to develop the logic. Like that's, yeah, that is counterintuitive. You wouldn't think that way. Yeah. And I think that's where a lot of people get paralyzed here because they think, Hey, I'm, you know, I want to be self-confident. I want to believe in myself, but I'm just not the type of person who, who can do that. Or there's some obstacle to me doing that. And they're looking for a magic trick to build that confidence. But I think you're right. It's just a matter of starting with acting like that version of you would, would act like, and then eventually over time you become that version of yourself. Right. It's, it's really a matter of work. <laughs> work and effort. The effort that you put in will manifest out on the other side as an equal but opposite force. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's called the 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 law of energy, conservation of energy. You know, it's funny because when people talk about stuff like that, they always think of it in the context of physics. But I, I do love the idea of taking that notion and applying it to mindset as well. Thank you. So is this something that you actively study? I'd be curious to know, you know, when it comes to developing your mindset, are there resources you use, like books or anything that you study? You talked earlier about uh, uh, videos that you'd watched online, and I'd just be curious to know if this is something that you've kind of put together the framework yourself, or if it's an area of study, just like how other people go and study jujitsu instructionals. Yeah, so I love learning. And I believe, especially because it's been proven to me now, that there are fundamental principles of this world that are manifested in all of the different aspects of the world. Religion, communication, relationships, education, jujitsu, these are all platforms to learn the same principles. And you can learn one principle in one area and apply it to another one and learn more from those experiences because they transfer over to everything. They're all connected. So some of the ways I've learned to develop my mind have come from studying communication and education and relationships and religion. Spirituality is, I credit spirituality the most to how much I've been able to develop my mind. Like I might even credit that solely. Jiu-Jitsu has been my platform to be able to to test it and to try it and to put it to work and to, to see it's to see the outcomes of this experiment and to know that, okay, this is tried and proven and this works. Yeah. You know, interestingly, this is something that I've been 
kind of trying to wrap my head around for a while, which is like, what is it about jujitsu that really makes it so important an activity to me, at least? And why, why is it that I feel it's such a foundational thing that everyone should at least try? Because when I got into jujitsu, like a lot of people, you know, I got into it because I drank the marketing Kool-Aid and I wanted to learn to defend myself. But as I get older, you know, I'm 40, I'm married, I have a kid. There is effectively a 0% chance I'm ever going to get into a bar fight at this point and need to like bust out a triangle choke to say, my life. It isn't going to happen. And I don't compete. So that for me is, isn't a goal either. But I still think even for someone like me, jujitsu is, is a super important activity. And I think it's because like you said, it, it gives you a platform to practice all of the other things in life that really matter. It gives you a laboratory to test your resilience and your discipline and your decision-making and how you perform under stress. And I know people who don't train think this sounds like the most incredibly stupid thing that you should you should learn jujitsu so that you can learn how to be a better person. But I think that it's, it's really true, right? Jujitsu is just a laboratory that lets you be a better version of yourself. And I think that's the main reason most people should train it. Oh, Amen to that. <laughs> yes, I agree with you. And like jujitsu fundamentally is not just called a martial art, right? Jujitsu slogan is soft art. It is a way of life. And life is not just I have one skill. Life is I have this skill, that skill, that skill, that skill. Life is a, like the accumulation of all of these things you can be here. Why would you limit yourself to just one I don't want to be just a good jujitsu practitioner or just a good jujitsu fighter or even a self-defense fighter. I want to have a phenomenal character. I want to have a phenomenal perspective about life, about people, about relationships, about gratitude. That's what jujitsu can offer. Yeah. And again, that's one of those things that at a surface level, I think is very counterintuitive to people because you, you know, you wouldn't think that putting on pajamas and going into a padded room and trying to choke strangers would make you like a better <laughs> dad or a better mom. But it, it absolutely happens, right? Because it's the techniques and the competition. It's just a test, right? It's a pressure test of everything that really matters about you. You know, how do you, how do you deal with pressure? How do you deal with adversity? Are you humble enough to know your weaknesses and are are you brave enough to address those weaknesses? You know, regardless of whether you're talking about interpersonal issues or a career or whatever, or or jujitsu itself, you use the same methods to train your mind and to overcome obstacles. And jujitsu is just the greatest example, I think, of how an average human being can experience that in, in practice and kind of build a lab that allows them to test and improve themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what verifies itself most is truth. I would call myself for sure a truth seeker. And so when I look at all these different areas of life and know that they, they mix and they can teach you principles of truth, I know that I can find that in another area if I haven't discovered it already. And that's how I was able to build my mentality for jujitsu. And that's how I maintain my, my perspective in jujitsu too, is by basing it on principles of truth. And those truths are what I know about myself, what I know I will learn from each of these experiences, what I know I'm trying to be, and I'm trying to be good things. And whenever I'm not sure of how I'm doing, I revert back to what I know is true, what I know I want, and I build on those things. So let me ask you then here, if you were to, I don't know, if someone gave you a budget of $10,000 and said, go and buy a hundred random jujitsu instructionals, 
what you would probably find is that all 100 of those would be about some weird, specific, very detailed esoteric technique, right? I mean, it's very easy if you want to find a massive instructional about an inverted arm lock or, or whatever. But you don't find many jujitsu instructionals that are about mindset or character or adversity or becoming a better person. That's because it's not had very much. Yeah, well, you, you might actually be onto something there. Because what's interesting is I think most people would agree that's the difference maker at a high level, right? It's not going to be how good your hip bump is. It's going to be something else that, that makes the difference. But I've always been surprised that so little jujitsu instruction, like when you go out to buy instructionals, very little of it is about mindset or character. It's all about very specific nuts and bolts techniques. I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, it's really interesting to consider. I just had my my training partners, he's writing an article about jiu-jitsu and he just sent me a screenshot of an article he was reading that was saying the same thing, that some people are kind of turned off to jiu-jitsu or don't have an interest in pursuing jiu-jitsu because they don't see a lot of character development in some of the high-level jiu-jitsu fighters. And I was like, oh, that's, that's really interesting to consider because there are people who you might think have a poor quality character and they're still really good jiu-jitsu fighters so what's the difference here i think it's really interesting to consider now do i know these people enough to feel like i can even say like i know what kind of character they have and that that correlates their jiu-jitsu or not i don't know i do believe though that the better your character and quality of person is the more mature you are i guess i would say Let's take spirituality, for example. The more mature you are as a person, more mature you are spiritually, that will help you to mature in the other realms of life, namely jujitsu. Yeah, yeah. So maybe, maybe by developing your character, you can monumentally enhance your jujitsu. I think there's something to be said about that, right? I mean, a lot of the all-time greats are known for just generally being really generous, having big hearts, strong character. I mean, that does exist. However, there is, like you said, the flip side. There's a lot of people who go into jujitsu and use it, I, I would say, the right way, the way that you've talked about, where you're using it as a vehicle for growth. But there are also people, um, you know, very well-known figures who honestly do really awful things. And it kind of makes you wonder at some point, okay, have, they, have these people lost the plot? Did they get into jujitsu for the wrong reasons? Are they seeing the wrong things where, you know, maybe rather than using it as a vehicle for growth, they're using it to be a better bully or to, you know, to, to justify their bad behavior more. And that's always something that I find very interesting about the jujitsu community is how, how we evaluate character and not just technical skill, but also what does, what kind of person you are play into that conversation about, you know, how good a martial artist you ultimately should be. Yeah. So interesting to think about. And I wonder too, like, you know, the law of conservation of energy, that there's an equal balance in all things. Like it kind of is like, oh, okay, it makes sense that there would be a balance in mentality. And it also makes sense that people learn lessons at specific times in their life, namely when they are ready for them. So maybe it's like wherever they are on their jujitsu journey that they haven't learned that yet or they, that hasn't become a need or hasn't become evident to them yet. And that's just where they're at in their journey. And now we're judging them actually too harshly. I don't, mm -hmm. that's also another thing to consider.
Yeah, and that is a good point, right? It's very easy to judge someone based on minimal information that you may have about them based on what you've seen on social media. And that that's, I think, uh, another part of character, too, is trying to not be too judgmental over things that don't matter, right? There's a, there's a difference between someone doing a really terrible, awful thing versus someone do, making a, you know, a minor interpersonal infraction, right? Some things are just really not worth passing judgment on people for. And I, I think that it's important if, you know, if you're, if you're going to condemn someone or pass judgment on someone, you've got to have a really good reason for doing so. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Where do you get the authority to judge somebody else from? That's a really good question. I have wondered this myself sometimes. Like, who is who is the authority over someone is a, a good or bad person? I think that sometimes there's some obvious things, right? Like if, I don't know, if someone commits some heinous crime and it's, you know, it's pretty cut and dry what happened, I think in those cases you can probably draw a line as to what kind of person they are. But it gets a bit dicier when it comes to people expressing their ideas on social media, right? It's really easy to, in your head, paint an idea of what kind of person you are, someone might be, based on what they posted on social, and to be completely wrong about it, because you probably never met that person. And I think that's a good example of what you talked about earlier, about kind of guarding unproductive thoughts and trying to not let them into your head. I mean, social media is a <laughs> it's a generator of a lot of unproductive thoughts, and I think guarding against that can sometimes be a good mental health practice. Yeah. Um, cue the why I do not spend a lot of my time on social media. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, hey, you know, we talked about mindset. We talked about instructionals. I'd be curious, have you had any thought about putting together any instructionals of your own? I mean, maybe even around mindset and resilience and self-belief, because that to me is a message that when you speak on, it really resonates with people. And I'd love to to see more work from you on that. I'd just be curious to know if that's something you've thought about doing. Thank you. I'm flattered. I would love to share what I have learned with others, whether that's in person or via the internet. I would love to share. Do I have any current plans like perfectly developed for it? They're not perfectly developed, but the ideas are there. I'm seeing how we're going to do this. Fantastic. So, hey, I'm guessing that if people want to keep tabs on you and see what you're working on in the future, probably the best way to do that is to, to follow your work. Where can they go about doing that if people want to follow Amy and see what she's up to? Talk to my coach. Just kidding. No, I should, <laughs> he would tell you. He would know. Yeah. If I, have, if I have work that I'm going to be sending out to the public, to people who I'm looking to meet, who people I want to help, yeah, I will, I will post things about it on Facebook on my page at Amy Campbell Fighter. That's for Instagram and Amy Campbell for Facebook. I will post updates about trips I'm going to be doing and the things I'm going to be releasing. And I'm sure my coach will end up posting them on his page, Maury, Maury Zenith. Yeah. Maury Zenith. He will post that on his page as well. Awesome. And as always, if listeners are like me, they're probably walking the dog or doing the laundry while they're listening to this. I'll make it easy. Go into the show notes and there will be links to Amy's social. You can just click through and follow there. Highly recommended. I mean, Amy, it's been a blast following you and watching your journey. Again, just absolutely incredible performance at ADCC. Uh, and thank you so much for coming by. Greatly appreciated this conversation. This was a fun one. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure to share what I've learned and I can't imagine much more would be as satisfying to be able to give back what I've been given. 
Awesome. Well, I greatly appreciate it. And uh, of course, if anyone out there wants to check out more of our stuff, the home base is bjjmentalmodels.com. Pretty sure most people listening would know that, but that's where you can get all of our stuff, the, the full roster of every episode we've ever made, over 200 at this point. Plus, we've got an awesome coaching service. We've got a ton of premium course material there. Free trial, so please do check it out, bjjmentalmodels.com. But again, Amy, thanks so much. This was a fun one. Really appreciated it. Happy to meet you. And man, I can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, have a great day. Take care. You too. Bye.